Welcome to Day Zero Update for May 2nd, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Sologi. I'm Brandon Perkins. And I'm Dan Red Victoria. And yeah, we've got a pretty good slate of news here. Uh, we got your monthly uh, PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold lineups. Mm-hmm. Got some demos and such here that just came out this week. Uh, some other neat little stuff there, as well as uh, a couple of releases that are coming. Yep. Uh, let's see. There's uh, some financial news for uh, Xbox and PlayStation and a bunch of exec news here. Not great for most of it. Yeah. Uh, then we got some uh, gameplay stuff, some announcements. Uh, Sony had a state of play earlier this week, so we will talk about the, the few things that were in there, but mm-hmm. uh, some good stuff as well. And that's kind of the the lineup here. But before we get to that news, we'll be talking about what we've been playing. I will start off here with uh, Ratchet and Clank: Future Tools of Destruction. Kind of still streaming that game. Played a bunch of it here this weekend. I think I have a last little bit to go. A few more planets uh, yeah. before I am done with that. Uh, and then I can start Quest for Booty. But ah. yeah, it's it's been pretty fun. I uh, had one crash here in the stream today, mm-hmm. which was weird. Uh, unfortunately, didn't really lose too much out of it. I was just going into like a quick little boss fight that I uh, just crashed as I was trying to pull up the weapon wheel mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. But yeah, the game's been a lot of fun. The The major issue I've been having is the the camera is prone to freaking out when you're in close enclosed spaces. Yeah. It just does not know what to do, and oftentimes just pisses me off as it's freaking out. Yeah. Uh, which is just annoying for that, but uh, otherwise been pretty fun. Uh, some nice some nice uh, character work here as they reveal Captain Slag and Rusty Pete, the two mm. robot pirates who we will see in the next game. Yeah. Uh, they do some good work. Uh, it's been some good fights. Here, I really like the the big fight against the like construction robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have like a big grinding sequence. Uh, unfortunately, I died on it and had to do the whole grinding sequence again. Mm-hmm. Still some still some unfortunate checkpoint issues. Oh yeah, there. Uh, and the the one clank sequence, the all the clank sequences have been pretty bad mm-hmm. in this game. Uh, you have to deal with the the zoni, mm-hmm. but if you happen to die at any point. Uh, you have to restart the entire section over again. Yep. Never checkpoints. Uh huh. Which is annoying when you're dealing with, you know, some tough areas. Mm hmm. You know, I stay away from the combat because they just automatically attack uh, the enemies that are in there, but the platforming sequences can be a little bit tough, uh, especially the, the second sequence where you had to use the slowdown to stop these, like, spinning centrifuges that were. Uh, just there to get in your way. Just be super annoying. Uh, but yeah, going to the last few uh, sequences here. But yeah, that's uh, that's been a lot of fun. Excited to get done with the game. Uh, then we'll move on to Quest for Booty, hopefully uh, by like Wednesday or Thursday, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's been the, the main game I've been playing uh, here in the last day or so. But also had some time for Returnal. Got a few hours yeah. into that. That is the, the newest game from Housemark. 
Makers yeah. of Super Stardust, HD, Resogun, Alienation, uh, what else? Next Machina, that kind of stuff. Uh, but they are taking a big swing here with like a full-priced roguelite mm. that is very much uh, high production values for yeah. that price. The Everything looks really nice. Uh, the environments look really nice. They in Having played a little bit of Alienation, I saw a little bit of the style of that in this game. Uh, so these environments that... Very alien, the way they present them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it is an alien planet. So Atropo is the name. There are a lot of neat little roguelite mechanics that are in there. You know, it throws in a bunch of different kinds of rooms into a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you get a lot of space between you and the, the boss room. Sometimes you don't. Mm. I think uh, I died like three times to the first boss before I finally beat it. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I've heard most people say. <laughs> yeah, the boss isn't tough. It's just it's three waves, essentially. Three mm-hmm. life bars. Once you do you know, beat one, it switches to another mode uh, using most of the same moves, but adds a couple new ones. Then the, the third one does uh, its final stand and beating some really tough waves there, but by that third one, I also had a you have some one-use uh, abilities you can pop. Mm-hmm. And when it just slows down the time for a little bit, like 30 seconds, something like that. And that's uh, helped me out there. Because it'll just come in straight try to attack you while shooting out some stuff that can really mess you up if you're trying to get uh, get free of it. Uh, but the, the time I beat it and got to the, the second area, which looks really different from the, the main area first area uh so that one's kind of if mars was a lot brighter <laughs> like if you like turn the contrast uh up a little bit yeah so it's a little bit more brighter colored all that kind of stuff whereas mars is like uh like a very drab kind of red mm-hmm. uh, maybe like tannish red kind of thing but there was more open environments whereas the the first area is kind of you know, more enclosed spaces, but the uh, that one's kind of more open, uh, a lot of space to move around, so you can kind of deal with enemies. And the uh, uh, they use some of the same enemies. It, it seems to change wildly depending on runs, what types of enemies you see. Some have a lot of uh, like the I think the run where I beat the boss, I had a lot of flying enemies that showed up in most mm. of the areas, uh, which was kind of uh, not really that difficult. I had a weapon that. It shoots lots of pylons that zap electricity between them. Mm-hmm. And I got some sort of upgrade where it just shot them all at once for the uh, for the ammo. So it shot like it was two shots per time you need to reload. So it you just shot a bunch uh, in its direction. You usually get one in the enemy, and then it starts zapping the electricity, kind of doing uh, a, a good bit of damage, but consistently over time. That kind of thing, but if you get as like a reload mechanic, you don't get extra damage for it, but you do get uh, you get kind of uh, you get to back to shooting faster. That kind of thing, but you can get perks that will add extra things to that. Like I had one of my runs where it's like, oh, every time you do that, I think it's called an overload. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time you do that successfully, it shoots out like two shots that 
uh, you know, zeroes in on nearby enemies to do some damage. Mm-hmm. So it's like really good. Uh, uh, you know, real good rewards for nailing that stuff. And with that pylon shot, the reload bar was much larger once you got the adrenaline going. So like every time you're killing enemies without get, taking a hit, your adrenaline goes up. I think it's up to five levels of it. Uh, for that weapon, every time my adrenaline level went up, the bar got a bit bigger. So it made it a lot easier to kind of just pop out two shots, reload real quick, pop out two shots, kind of keep it going pretty fast. Uh, your movement abilities are pretty well done. You got a sprint on the L3, which also have dashes. Uh, you can do like a short one for dashing through shots. Uh, you got a longer one if you need to get across. Uh Longer gaps, that kind of stuff. Uh, no kind of flying or anything, but there's these like orange things I'm seeing on the edges of uh, different parts of the levels that makes me think there's going to be some sort of grappling hook type of thing. Yeah. Uh, to it, uh, what else do I have? I have a sword that's for melee. There are also different like hidden compartments that you can break open with that, or like laser grid type uh, shields that you can. Uh, break with that kind of thing. As uh, yeah, like the when you go towards the first boss, it's usually behind this like elaborate kind of stealth area, where there's these giant weird eyeball things that are looking around. It's like a big light uh, source. You want to stay out of the light, or else if you get in it, it starts throwing attacks at you. Mm. Uh, but you can also shoot the eyes to turn them off for a little bit, kind of thing. So there's there's lots of depth to the way you're getting around these levels. Uh, for that one, there's usually turrets as well. Uh, but you can just get uh, a bunch of... Uh, uh, you can kind of just run around it in different ways. Uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, let's see. There's like teleports, so you can kind of get around the map pretty well. The mini-map does a really good job of showing you where items are at. For the most part, there might be a couple of things that might be a little bit hidden for you, but... Uh, the neat thing it does is it shows uh, the uh, doors as like rectangles if they're like side areas, uh, and the the triangles are sort of a uh, mainline kind of areas. If you're looking for stuff that'll help you actually progress through that uh, area, the triangle doors you want to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have a square door with like a circle over it, that's the path to the next area. I assume. Uh, that'll be where I'm going next. My run where I actually got to the second area was that door was like right outside the entrance, uh, the starting area. Uh, every time you die, you go back to your ship, the Helios, it crashes on the planet again. Uh, you have like a little first person sequence inside the ship mm-hmm. before you get out. So you can go lay on a bed to see some weird stuff. Uh, you can see the stats in the ship. You can also change your outfit. So if you pre-ordered it, you get some special outfits. But it seems like they've they've got a little bit of bug stuff going on here for the launch. Uh, I think I've seen some people saying they've had crashes. I haven't had that yet. Uh, I have had a weird issue where I was wearing one of the pre-order suits in the opening area. Uh, I couldn't get out of the opening area where the ship has crashed, mm. which is weird. But uh, it seemed like the, the, the way to solve most of that stuff is just restart the cycle sort of reload since I was at the beginning I didn't lose anything uh, but I did that and it just 
nailed the prompt uh, for what we were doing. So seems to be pretty good for me so far as far as running and all that. It runs really smoothly, plays really well, looks really great. Uh, excited to put some more time into it. And the, the runs can definitely get fairly long. Uh, like the first run I had, that isn't like the, the tutorial run, because the tutorial run just kind of explains things to you. And you usually run into an enemy that's just going to probably kick your ass because you don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, that enemy is called like a Titan, Titan Ops, something like that. Uh, they have a bunch of weird names for the enemies, but uh, that one's pretty tough. I went to like a special challenge area that I wasn't realizing that was what I was in. But it was like five waves of enemies just coming at me. And I think the last one had two of those. So I was uh, frantically trying to kill everything, but that uh, worked out pretty well for me. Because mm-hmm. you get a bunch of uh, bonuses and such in that room. Mm. Uh, so I have the game too. Um, yeah. Granted, I'm nowhere near uh, as deep as you are into it. It sounds like you made it to the second biome. So my yeah. question is this. Um, when you get there and then when you die, do you immediately go back to the very beginning or do you start back at the second biome? You start at the beginning. I believe you would just have to make your way to that uh, room that has the portal to that area. Okay, so got it. Depending on how you know how the the room layout sets up, it might be closer or further away. So it kind of has the the vibe of like a Rogue Legacy or something like that, where you can just warp to the area. But okay, it's so, it's, like so it's not like Hades where you have to beat the same boss over and over? I don't believe so. I believe once okay. you beat it, you just have to find the room to get to it. Because I believe the the unlocks for that kind of stuff persist between runs. Uh, cool. That's what I believe is the case. I could be wrong because I haven't done a second run. I got to that and was like, all right, that's enough of that for today. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I've only done the... Yeah, tutorial run, and then died one more after that. I haven't put too much uh, time into it. Yeah, uh, the weapons are pretty neat. There's not a hasn't been a huge variety yet. It's been a pistol. There's a like carbine rifle uh, that's pretty nice. There's a shotgun, I believe. Uh, I've had the the pylon weapon, which is pretty cool. Which it shoots out these pylons, and it shoots electricity between them. as like a uh, initially, when you're using that, it's just one pylon at a time, but I got an upgrade during that run that shut them all out at once, so it's like a web of these electricity that damages nearby enemies. That is pretty neat. I think there's one more. I haven't... I'm not sure where that... It, what it was. No, okay, That there's, a, there's one that's kind of like a rapid-fire gun uh, that is pretty neat. Uh, I think I got an upgrade on that one at one point where I kind of was able to seek out enemies nearby. Mm-hmm. Though maybe that was the aim assist. It does have an aim assist on by default. That isn't, it's not like it holds your hand with anything. It just helps you like with a little bit of like the fine tuning on that, but uh, you can turn that off if you want. Uh, I believe you can remap the entire control scheme, but I think people have had some issues with that. Or it's like made the way you interact with certain things a little bit different. But yeah, that might just require you like restart the cycle. Uh, 
there's currency that persists between runs, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, your ship, where your ship is crashing at the beginning. There's like a thing there where you can use that currency to unlock an item or a perk or whatever that'll show up in future runs. There's like a shop you can find in the first area that has a bunch of stuff you can buy or you can like donate your currency to the cause. I guess is like community-wide. It's a little bit weird to try to describe that. Uh, there's collectibles that are like these uh, little like monuments that have words on them, but you're trying to find this uh, deciphers in the, the environment, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's story stuff with the house. You've seen in probably the trailers that uh, seems like it's going to explain some of her story, her backstory, mm-hmm. uh, Celine's backstory. Uh, the first one that I went through was a bit weird, but seemed to suggest there's like this weird astronaut she keeps seeing nearby that's creeping her out. But also you get like a little astronaut figurine that gives you like a second life. So if you die on the boss, it would revive you. Yeah. Like half your health or something like that. Uh, which shows up in that shop. Uh, yeah. There's teleports. There's a lot of secret areas, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you've seen like those purple plants, Dan Reb, that you mm. run into and they break, those can drop uh, malignant perks that usually impart some kind of like penalty to what you're doing. So I had one, it's like, oh, you don't get any weapon progression uh, until you get... Is that, the, like, uh, thing where they, uh, is that the thing where they upgrade your suit but also give you some sort of disadvantage? There's some of that stuff in there, but there's just like these little plants with like a glowing purple thing in them. If you just run yeah. over them, they just break. But they have like okay. a chance of dropping like a malignant perk. As gotcha. long as you yeah, fill the during my runs, I just pick up whatever I see and like not think much of it. So I don't know whether yeah. it's actually detrimental or beneficial to what I'm doing. They're usually uh, helpful. You just have some sort of penalty until you can unlock whatever the good part of it is. Then you like break a, you like destroy the the bad perk on it, that kind of thing. There's also a bunch of other like clusters of like these purple things that. You can use your ether on to cleanse it, so you can take the the good perk and not have to deal with the bad one. Also, if you grab three of them in a row before you unlock any of them, it kills you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have one run that died because I had uh, no. I got out of a big fight with like like ten percent health. Then took one of those. It's like okay, it'll either give you a bunch of health or it'll take some health. <laughs> I took it and killed me. So I was like, okay, that's, that's that was fine. That's a fine way to end the run, but uh, I was yeah, running I out. Run yeah. That was my one where I got to the second world, uh, the second biome. Uh, but I was at like no health and there was no drops anywhere. So I, I was like, well, I'm going to die anyway. Might as well try this out and see if it works out in my favor, which it didn't. But that was fun. Learning more about the game. That's what's really cool about this kind of game is just... Uh, trying everything once and seeing what it does and uh, having fun when it actually works out in your favor. Yeah. Um, I'll uh, talk about it in a bit, but the sense of self-discovery is really what's pulling me into it. Yeah. There's like a huge Metroid kind of vibe to it where you're seeing lots of things like, Oh, that's something. I don't know how I'm going to get that. And you usually at some point find the, 
find a tool or a weapon or something or some sort of upgrade that lets you access that stuff. It's only been that kind of weird orange glowing ledges that I've seen that uh, I don't have anything for that yet. Uh, but yeah, there's also the other thing that kind of freaks me out is the, like barnacles. Mm. You know, your half-life are like barnacles like that. Uh, except if you run by, they kind of will like make noises at you. They'll grab you. Um, or try and grab you. They act like they are. But those things are sometimes necessary to get around because there might be a ledge up near the top and it's like, okay, you have to ride it up and then dash out of it to uh, get up to a ledge or something like that, uh, which works out pretty well. Uh, I don't think it does any damage to you until it pulls you all the way up. Mm-hmm. But I haven't let it get that way. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of it for that game. It's really cool. I'm liking it a lot so far. It's kind of how's Mark making a $70 game for what they uh, are able to do. Seems like it's working out really well for them. So far, the major issue that people are having is just no way to save out of a run and like come back. But it seems like I've been looking at their Discord, and that's been one of the most common things people are requesting, and they seem very much like they are going to do figure out a way to do that in a way that makes sense for their game. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just being like a save scummy type of thing. Uh, mm. So yeah. But like restarting runs, it seems like that is uh, doesn't really kill too much of your progress because you just keep uh, unlocked biomes and that kind of stuff. Uh, kind of carries over, so it's just your ability to keep unlocking things that maybe you lose in that process, but that's kind of the, the roguelite thing is you keep playing, you get better. You learn more about the worlds or you have the option of just staying in that first biome and just going in every single room you can find and coming out super powered up. They get into the second world and it probably does uh, some good ways of making you feel uh, less powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing some more of that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just kind of, it's really good to plug in headphones into the controller because the audio design is so good. Because mm. uh, you can just hear like life moving around all over the place, whether you have enemies around or not. You just hear like, oh, there's some nasty shit out here somewhere. Uh, it's like environmental audio kind of stuff. That just does really well for me. Yeah, I don't have any 3D headphones, and this game definitely made me want to consider buying some. So I'll definitely be on the market for those. But one thing I will mention, uh, even before I get to my piece, is I am really impressed with the um, haptic feedback on the on the, on the DualShock oh, yeah, controller that's... here, or the DualSense controller. Um, yeah. Like, uh, after, you know, waiting so long to play another exclusive PS5 game, I'm like, wow, I forgot this was a thing, and it, it really is a game changer. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most impressive games with that. On, I put it on par with Astro's Playroom uh, in a lot of the ways that that game, like the rain stuff, is very much in this game. So yeah, the, the rain is great. Rooms. There's that. There's your alt fire, which is you're pulling down your left trigger. It just stops you like halfway for your basic uh, like zoom in. But if you pull it all the way, it does your fire. Uh, or at least your 
you're holding it so you can aim it, which like the first gun I had was just like a like a big grenade type of shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ones I've had is like, oh, shoots out a bunch of like uh, auto-seeking shots to attack uh, enemies nearby, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's probably a few different ones there, at least, that I've seen so far. But yeah, that's pretty well done. The And when your alt fire is like recharging, when it's done, it does a nice little uh, like haptic feedback kind of rumble that just tells you like, oh, this is ready without you having to necessarily uh, hear the the audio thing. Because if you're you know, deep in combat, you want to know that's going on. You may not be listening for that or see the icon on the screen for that. You just, you just tell from the controller mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff. So it's it's really impressive in basically every aspect of the game, which is uh, exciting to have another game like that that uh, does some cool stuff with it. Uh, especially kind of scooping the the ratchet and clank thing where the they definitely talk about like oh you push the button uh, the trigger halfway down for your one kind of attack and then you're pull it down all the way for your attack for it this one comes out and says ha fuckers we did it first <laughs> I assume there's some other game out there that's done it too but that's been fun to to play around with um, excited to see how how that stuff changes in the future. Future runs. Mm. So yeah, that's uh, that's Returnal. Uh, out now. Uh, also out now is Genshin Impact for the PS5. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing some of that. That is... It's pretty nice in terms of file size. It's like a... Right there, like 10 to 15 gigs, something like that. Pretty small, like the, the PS4 version. Mm. Uh, but it's actually smooth. It's like it's running on a platform that can handle the, it, the bullshit. Yeah. It wants to put it put in there that makes it not run so great on PS4. Yeah, it's like you're not playing it on the PS4. Uh, yeah. uh, better, it, I'm not. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's basically the same experience. It just runs better, looks a little bit better. Uh, they're doing like a special event here for like the launch week of this version, uh, so you get some repeatable stuff to do. But yeah, that's uh, that's been fun to jump back into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, been playing some more. There is no game. I finished the sequence where they go have you go through like a Lucas Arts adventure game. Yeah, and the the way you kind of break that uh, is pretty fun because uh, you're it has you playing on like a CRT and the ways it has you playing with that thing physically to mess with the uh, the mechanics is pretty good. Pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ha- even has like a little uh, pinwheel chart thing for code stuff that you have to use once or twice. Uh, that is pretty fun. So yeah, they do a, a lot of great work in like just breaking the UI mm-hmm. and allowing that to be part of the puzzle as well. Uh, so yeah, that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Brandon? Yeah, uh, as for me, I well, actually, before I say it, I got to say, from what every, you guys have said and basically what everybody else has been telling me, uh, Returnal seems to be like the first killer app that the PS5 has actually produced. So, I mean, uh, that you pay for, I think. It's so the first real exclusive on, on the PS5. I mean, Dark so, uh, Doom and Soul doesn't count because that was on PS3. 
And Miles Morales yeah. is only like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Miles Morales or Sackboy don't count either. So with, yeah. the, with the exception of Sackboy, it's Returnal. So yeah. So yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So yeah, uh, I am still playing Near Replicant. I'm now on my third playthrough. Um, for those who have played Near Automata, and you probably are already familiar with how this works. There's a first playthrough that sort of acts like, kind of acts like something like you would play, like a full campaign. Then there's a second playthrough that happens, uh, and in that one, you usually what happens is you, well, in Near Automata, you end up playing it from, nine's, from 9S perspective. Um, and because of that, you end up, you know, getting some more uh, info and some more cutscenes that kind of you know, expand the story a bit and shows that there's a bunch of stuff happening underneath the surface you didn't originally know about. Uh, well, Near Replicant does something kind of like that, but in a very odd way. Um, so during the first playthrough, there's a time skip that happens. Um, so after you play that first playthrough, when you play the game for a second time, the game starts you at that time skip, but before you go back into the normal action, there's this extended sort of visual novel part where you basically learn about Kaine's backstory, uh, specifically what it is that made her an outcast and basically made, got her kicked out of her village and why she lives basically just outside of it on her own. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not the the Black Scrawl that she has on her on her left side. Um, but what happens after that is you also learn that Kaine is actually semi-possessed by a shade named Tyran. And because of that, you're not playing as Kaine, you're still playing as Mir, or whatever you want to call him. But because Kaine has Tyran in her head it means that you can now actually understand what some of the shades are actually saying when you start fighting them. And because, yeah, I mean, like, one of the things that you start to notice, especially in the second half of the first playthrough, is that the shades are a lot more intelligent than you originally give them credit for. And it's very clear that they have a language of some kind that just gets all garbled. When you actually start to hear what it is they have to say... Uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 they're a lot smarter than you originally give them credit for. And suddenly you start to realize that this whole thing is not very black and white and that Nier may very well just straight up be a psychopath. Um, but you go through all that and so you do that and you get to learn like more of the story, you get more cut scenes, you get sort of get to realize like sort of the back, sort of the, the, backstories and the uh, reasons why some of the bigger shades you're, you come in contact with are fighting and why they are the way they are. And then after that's over, you have to go and get the third playthrough. And the thing about the third playthrough is you have to get all of the weapons that are in the game. There's about 33 of them total. Um, I currently, I have like 27 or 28. Um, so I've got most of them. I still have a few to go. But what happens after that is that then there's like a choice that you make at the very end. 
And depending on what the ending of that choice is, you end up getting uh, what are endings C and D. And uh, do you remember how in Near Automata where to get the true ending, you basically have to give up all of your save data? Yeah, you probably have to do the same thing here. But what I've also heard is apparently there's actually a brand new ending and a whole new hours-long piece of content specifically made uh, after that specific point. So I'm really interested to see that. Um, Yeah, from the people I've talked to that actually um, finished all the parts, they said that the game ended up being more emotional than mm-hmm. the original, which was which, which to me is pretty crazy because the original was, uh, from what I remember people talking about, was also pretty emotional. Um, I guess my oh. question for you is, with with, with, with the with the yeah, with other um, playthroughs you have to do, um, is it similar to uh, Automata where um, your latter playthroughs are going to be shorter than your first? Uh, well, I will say that in the latter they'll be shorter, mostly because you're kind of OP by that point. Okay. Um, but as 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 much as that hard as that sounds, there is like another feature they added in, uh, which is called the Mom's Diary. And basically, what it is is it's a series of combat arenas they specifically created uh, for this new version, where you actually get to play as Old Man Near again. Um, and if you do, if you manage to succeed, you get a couple of new weapons. And you also get a bunch of experience points and 50,000, I think gold is what they use. But yeah. um, And as for the emotional thing, yeah, there's a reason why people compare it to Spec Ops The Line um, as essentially near being like the JRPG equivalent of it, because it 100% is. It is a giant mindfuck once you finish the first um, playthrough and you start to realize what's actually going on. Um, But yeah, um, after you finish those original four, you actually get a whole new section of the game where you end up playing, actually playing as Kaine. And there's like a whole new ending to go to and like hours of new content. Um, so yeah, um, really excited to get there. Um, if I have, if I have one major complaint about near that I have, which is something that I had a complaint with back when the game originally came out and I played it on the 360. Um, and it's a complaint they largely dealt with with Automata is um, there is no inst- there isn't really any instant travel. Um, now I say that there technically is. Uh, there's the ferryman who will take you to a couple of key places on the map, so you don't necessarily have to keep walk keep you know running back and forth in places. Unfortunately, he also becomes a key plot point uh, later in the game, so there's a whole chunk of it where he's not available. But, you know, and uh, also there's the uh, the sort of issues with the side quests being that most of the side quests are pretty interesting because 
you know, it's, you know, as with Yoko Taro's other games, he manages to put an awful lot of story in places you normally wouldn't expect it in. And for most of the sub, most of the side quests, that's also true. The problem is, is that most of these side quests largely revolve around, you know, going to point A and getting shit and then coming back and getting it for them. You know, it's fairly, fairly middle of the road fetch quests. Um, but yeah, so I'm still playing that. Um, other than that, I'm also playing Splatoon 2, um, which is, you know, I'm getting better at that, I think. Um, I've managed to get a couple of my uh, ranks in the ranked matches up to a B, so I'm definitely getting better. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's about it. That's about what I've been doing. So, Dan Reb, what about you? Yeah, um, knowing that Returnal and Pokemon Snap uh, were coming out on Friday, um, I was just looking for something small after um, after completing uh, Tools Up. Uh, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to review the DLC, but then the code the guy gave me only had the actual game in it, and I didn't want to spend the six bucks for the DLC, so I decided to look for something else. And then I ended mm-hmm. up getting a code for the game that Chris is playing. Um, there is no game, and mm-hmm. um, it was it was definitely enjoyable, but. Um, and like, I've I've gotten to a point where like the the puzzles just like didn't really seem all that interesting to me. Um, I'm nowhere near as far as where he got. The place where I stopped was where uh, uh, they pretty much put me in front of an old Windows computer, and I have to solve some puzzle with a, with, with a squirrel on it. And so I end up playing rock music to shake all the folders and get this. Um, I forgot what, I, what what came out, but there was something that came out of out of a folder, and I was supposed to use it, and I don't know how. I think it was so yeah, that's where I'm at with that. Something like that. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Um, I, I have no idea. I just know it has to do with the, with the squirrel and like nuts in the tree yeah. or whatever. That game has a nice but, little but, hint system if you need that. Hmm. Yeah, like um, I used the hint system, and it, it it told me about you know I, I have the item I need, I just don't know how to use it. But anyway, yeah, yeah it's. It, it's a game I'll, I'll I'll get back to sometime, but as we know, it was a pretty big release weekend, so that's what I'm focusing on. And the big game that's res- that's uh, got most of my time was New Pokemon Snap. And you know, um, for, for all the listeners who have been Pokemon fans for a long time, the original Pokemon Snap came out 19 to 20 years ago, and um, the reason why that game was a big deal was because it was the first uh, Pokemon game on. On a console, and it was also the first time that we saw these um, these creatures in full 3D. So, you know, 19 years later, we're like seven generations in. So, there are hundreds of new Pokemon to to like you know check out, and um, playing this game is just you know that much more fun because of it. Um, unlike the first one, where you were just um, you just played as Todd, who was actually in the anime, and you were just taking pictures left and right. This one has a little bit more of a story here, like. Um, you're this kid exploring the lentil region and all of a sudden you meet this little girl and a professor who need help with their research and they do that research by, by, by taking photos. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're given your camera, um, you're given access to the machine that'll allow you to explore various places in the region. And, you know, you're just shooting all sorts of shots here. So um, the first one is a beach level, pretty similar to the first game. Um, and... Yeah, like the the original game had like five or six levels, and this one has a whole lot more, plus day and night versions of each one. And there's also this this pretty cool part in the story where you come across somebody uh, from the original game, and uh, 
that was a pretty big moment for me. Like I, I, I literally lost my shit when I saw him, especially since like you know uh, they actually aged him, uh, aged him a bit. Like he, he was a kid back then, and like he's an adult now. So it was really cool seeing how they went ahead and did that, and they they um they hit it pretty well. Like uh, I was one of the guys who was like trying to look at every preview um, that that I possibly could, and they did a good job like making sure that this was still a special moment. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, there's also these other levels where it's kind of like like in the original where um. It was focused totally on Mew, but this time around, like there's this, um, there are these rocks that you take pictures of, and all of a sudden it makes Pokemon glow, and they're bigger than they're than they're supposed to be, and you pretty much just uh, play through that. And the the real um, uh, the real glue to what makes this game as as addictive as it is is the fact that you need four different kinds of shots of every Pokemon in the game. Like, you have uh, one, two, three, and four-star shots you can take, and basically all of them require them to be um, to be engaged in some sort of different action. So you have your basic photos, and you have, more, you have ones that are more complicated, so you can get different poses. And it's using your items in a different combination of ways, along with the environment around you, to really create these scenarios. And mm-hmm. that's where it's really fun. Like, you know... Um, this game is sort of perfect for the Switch in that regard, you know, just because it has the uh, uh, the gyroscope ability to actually, you know, um, move it left and right or wherever you're at. And I think I actually prefer it that way because, um, you know, my uh, controllers, unfortunately, all, all have drift. So there's that to deal with. But yeah, uh, this game is really fun so far. Um, you unlock levels by getting um, a certain amount of points and you actually level up each level. So the next time you go in, um, more Pokemon come up with more different scenarios to encounter. And on top of that, there's, there's a social aspect where you can share your photos online. People can like it. Um, there really isn't much of a reason to do that, but it's definitely something that's enjoyable to do, especially as you know people are um, <clears throat> still at home with the pandemic and whatnot, despite the fact that you know things are getting better. But you know, people are still staying home, and there's some stories we'll talk about later that uh, pretty much take advantage of that fact. So yeah, um, new Pokemon Snap is um, a whole lot more than I imagined it would be, and I'm glad Nintendo, like Nintendo and Pokemon Company together, made the effort to really make it uh, as big as possible. Um, I don't know where I'm at as far as like you know unlocking all the courses or being near the end, but I've definitely enjoyed um, every part of the game so far, and um, I'm really enjoying the flow. So it's really really solid. Um, and then, of course, there's Returnal, which I talked about a little bit with Chris. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to go ahead and go too much about the gameplay because uh, Chris already did that. But what I'm really impressed with um, is how it pretty much tells you it's a roguelite. Like, you know, Chris already mentioned that when you die, you go back to the beginning and you have to pretty much retrace your steps. But everything is procedurally generated, so you don't even know, or randomly generated, so you don't even, you wouldn't even be able to really prepare for what you're doing. Um. <clears throat> And part of my dislike with that is the fact that because there are so many different kinds of weapons, um, you really have in the early game you really don't even know what they do. So when you come when when you come across a new weapon, not only do you have to learn how to use it, but you also have to ditch the previous one you came with. So you have to pretty much make that choice about whether you want to use that new one or stick with the other one that you found earlier in the game. And that's also a pretty interesting point. Um, Another thing that I do like is um, he mentioned that, you know, when you die, you also end up back at your ship where you can go ahead and look at um, various information that, you know, your previous lives have collected. 
And it's really cool um, when you're in the character's perspective, playing for the first time and realizing, oh, I was already here. I, I didn't know that. And like, you know, it, it's one of those things where dying is really essential. I mean, like after you die in the, in the tutorial mission, you end up getting a trophy. So that was pretty cool. I mean, I don't ever envision myself finishing this game. I, I, I've never finished any of the house marks games before, but I've always appreciated um, their development process. And this game really is um, the premium experience that they wanted it to be. And I remember when they made the announcement that they weren't going to do any more small arcade games. I was really, really disappointed about it. Like, it just screamed that, you know, Sony really wanted to wanted them to go in a different direction that I didn't agree with. But th- this makes me backpedal a little bit. Um, like, this game could very well be Housemark's uh, crowning achievement as far as, like, uh, getting up there as far as being um, not really an indie studio, but being a support studio that can really... Um, <clears throat> that can really... Uh, put an emphasis on being a high quality Sony studio. So, I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're going to be gorilla, but one thing that I think um, really contributes to this game being as good as it can be is the fact that, and it's, it's something that we've criticized. Um, I mentioned it earlier. This is the, the PS five's first new exclusive since launch with um, Astrobot, And um, I think this can actually work to its favor due to the fact that, you know, um, a lot of uh, the, the PS5s are selling as soon as they reach the shelves, and there really isn't anything for them to really play um, only for it. And with Returnal being one of their very few options, it, it really has the opportunity to um, pretty much uh, be a part of their big attach rate. Granted, a lot of the PS5s are you know being resold and stuff, but as far as people that do have them and do enjoy PlayStation's lineup of games, um, I really see this game really you know causing uh, uh, causing like um, a good response in, in in regards to their portfolio, and of course, you know we have Ratchet coming in a, coming in a in a month, so um, it bodes well uh, due to the fact that the the games have been coming at a slower rate, and I think this will actually help um, Housemark in the long run. I, I don't know about um, Sony as a whole, but for Housemark, it definitely helps them. So I'm hoping that uh, the success, or hopefully the success of uh, the game, will make them um, uh, go back to other games in the future. Like, maybe we can see um, up-res versions of, uh, of their previous games, or they can go back to what they made previously, because now that people know what the studio's name is, they'll actually go back and play their uh, entire lineup. So, yeah, uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm only about an hour in, and obviously, with it being a roguelite, it doesn't really matter how far I get until I beat a level, which I haven't done yet, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Mm. That's about it. All right. Yeah, I think Near Replicant is going to be a game I'm going to pick up when it's for sale on PSN, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure uh, it'll be 30 bucks before November. <laughs> yeah, sometime during the summer here. Uh, much like I did with uh, Near Automata. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would you say that's probably like Automata in terms of like you probably shouldn't try to burn through it as fast as possible? Because uh... I know those first two runs in Near Automata is like they're like eighty percent the same. Seems like a good way to burn yourself out if you try to get through. Them and then the, the, part hard. of the reason why I burned through Automata as fast as possible was because I needed to play it for Game of the Year. So hopefully, I don't have that yeah. kind of pressure. But well, the thing is, is that your the the difference, really big difference between as far as like playthroughs go between Replicant and Automata is that 
In Replicant, your second and third playthroughs are going to be shorter than the yeah. first one. And the reason is because um, those games both... The, the, your second and third runs begin uh, after the time skip that happens in the first run. So basically, okay. you're playing the more or less second half of the game during the second and third run. Um, okay. but, that sounds, that sounds uh, like a, a nice bit of difference between the automata... Yeah. Well, here's the here's the thing, though. Um, even though that may be the case for the second and third runs, the thing is, after the third runs, they specifically created a fourth run specifically for this new version where you end up playing as Kaine. And I have not gotten to that part yet, but apparently it's uh, several more hours of content. So okay, I'll, I'll see. Um, but yeah, um... Yeah, you, you kind of want to, at least in the beginning, you kind of want to uh, savor it while you can. Yeah. They have a merchant like in Automata that just lets you unlock achievements? No. Oh. No, they do not. Though, to be perfectly honest, though, the achievements that you can get in this game are pretty easy to get. Okay, they're not annoying like the, the ones in Automata? Nah, mostly it's just like the only like difficult ones are the ones where you know, you have to get, like, a 100-hit combo or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I remember uh, spying on Chris's trophy list. That's one of his Platinums. <laughs> yeah, or, uh, like, getting, you know, like, killing a boss in, within a certain amount of time. Um, okay. And, there, I mean, after your second playthrough, you you get kind of, you get pretty OP pretty fast, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Definitely, yeah, when, yeah. Definitely get it when you get a chance. I won't lie; it's st- even though they've definitely given it a major graphical upgrade and they've revamped the combat system to be more in line with the one that's in Automata. Uh, it still kind of has that feeling of like X three sixty PS three jank to it. Um, uh, that's fine with me. I've been playing Ratchet and Clank games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have this weird kind of philosophy about Jake. Um, so, uh, if you've ever, so I like, for example, I know um, you like you, uh, Dan. Of course, you live in California. So, have you ever been to like one of those uh, parts of the state that's like that still has like the heavy sort of Mexican Latino influence to it? I mean, me, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I live yeah. In one. yeah. And you've ever seen, like, the old houses that are, like, made with the... Fuck, what do you call it? Like the Adobe Pueblo kind of material? Yeah, Yeah, if you look inside of it, and if you look closely, you can kind of see, like, the finger marks there when they're putting the stuff up. That's kind of how I view jank in video games. It's a sign of a human touch, basically. It's a sign of human input. It's a sign that they had a limit to what they could do. Yeah. In a game. They weren't yeah. like, they didn't hire a thousand people to polish uh, every aspect they could of the yeah. game. They had to and ship it at some point. And for some reason, I find it weirdly endearing. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I like just... seeing games that are trying for things. Yeah. Uh, and maybe like gets it like 60, 70% of the way there. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, if they had another chance, like a sequel. They'll probably nail it. Yeah, which they did here with their automata. Yeah, pretty much. 
But anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that seems like we got some good stuff here coming out. Yeah. Uh, for this this end of the month kind of wave. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, March or May has. There's some stuff there, but. Well, I know uh, uh, May. I know a couple of things are coming out this month. Um, yeah. I know. Uh, I think Biomutant is supposed to come out this month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the games we'll be talking about here later, later this month. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I even put the wrong month on here. Uh, where it's a new month here. We got yep. new games coming to your uh, subscription services, uh, at least mm-hmm. the two that have announced them already. Mm-hmm. Uh, PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold. We'll talk about what you can check out. That stuff with PlayStation Plus. They have an interesting lineup here. The first one is Wreckfest, Die Hard, Die Last, the PS5 version, uh, which is interesting because that game does not come out people that pay for the game. Until June first, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is early access, essentially, for PlayStation Plus members. Yeah, <laughs> which is a weird, weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. But THQ Nordic will take the money they can get. Uh, so yeah, that's and from what it seems like, because they're not doing an upgrade for the Xbox version, mm-hmm. uh, to the degree that this one, this PS5 version, is getting. Mm-hmm. So it has like uh, support for 24 players in the multiplayer, uh, full like 4K, all that, 60 FPS, uh, better lighting, better car models, better effects, all that kind of stuff. The, the sort of full upgrade effects that you expect mm-hmm. uh, to get. So that is uh, a big surprise for this, which is neat. And yeah, it's only the PS5 version, so no PS4 version with that, but. If you do it on the PS4 version, that is uh, a free upgrade for you mm-hmm. until June 1st. Uh, conveniently, that game leaves... I think it leaves both Game Pass and PlayStation Now on May uh, yeah, May 31st. It's like the day before that upgrade hits on the PS5. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they timed that out well, I guess. Uh, but see, beside that, uh, for the PS4, uh, there is Battlefield Five. Get the the latest Battlefield. Mm-hmm. I assume they are going to announce the new one here by the time uh, this month is over, or maybe early next month. I don't know. Well, I mean, and, uh, three is next month, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I assume they're putting this out there to be like, "Hey, remember Battlefield exists? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to remind you." They've already been teasing that they have, have like two games coming out in the mm-hmm. next year or so. There's one coming out this fall. The full console PC game, and I think there's a mobile game. Cause sure, why not? Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be a neat one to check out. There's also Stranded Deep, which is sort of a survival game where you're stranded on an island, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not sure if there are any like supernatural elements to it. Uh, I think it might just be more straightforward. But that was also on PlayStation Now. I downloaded it and just had not been able to do anything else with that. But those with... Uh, okay, it seems like uh, this month ends on the 31st. So yeah, we have a new lineup here on the 1st of next month. So you can keep checking those out uh, for all of May. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before the 4th here, uh, you can still grab last month's games if you need to. Uh, so that's a pretty good lineup there. 
Got some good uh, games about blowing stuff up or smashing them. Oh, yeah. Uh, which shows well on new consoles. <laughs> so that is your PlayStation Plus lineup for games with gold. It's maybe not as uh, splashy here. Yeah. Uh, for the Xbox One, for the newer newer half of the list, uh, there's Armello, which is sort of a smaller kind of tactical game, kind of a mix of card battling and like tabletop strategy kind of game to it uh, for that. Yeah, so, I've heard good things about it. I've never yeah. got, gotten around to play it, but yeah, apparently it's a good... Like, yeah, it's very much a simulation of a tabletop strategy game. Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Yeah, you can play it online multiplayer. I think that's why I haven't played it, because it seems more multiplayer-focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can probably play it solo. But you can do that. There is Dungeons 3, the third in the uh, not-uniquely-named games series. But it's a mix of like real-time strategy... Dungeon building kind of thing. Uh, never really checked that out, but that'd be neat to see what that is. That's on the 16th. You can check it out. Umbrella is out now. For the older stuff, the 360 uh, for both of these games, mm-hmm. there's the original Lego Batman. Uh, in case you're wondering what sort of Lego game that is, that is the old style of just straight levels to play through. No open world. Mm-hmm. I think it was Lego Batman 2 is the first of those with the the open world? Yeah, I think it was. But yeah, that'll be May 1st to the 15th. And for the 16th is Tropico. Uh, that's a series that has kind of gone... I think they're on Tropico 6 now. Yep. But they're kind of... Imagine if you had SimCity, but instead of being a architectural god, you are the El Presidente of a... You know, like a Cuban-style island. Well, no, you're more like El Presidente of, like, uh, you know, what was it, like fucking Costa Rica or the Dominican Republic, something like that. Yeah, like one of those... uh, Banana Republic, basically. Yeah, Uh, where you're kind of building out your island for people to live in, trying to uh, deal with, you know, the things your people need, as well as, you know, Swindling them for make them think you're actually better than you are as a leader, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You can put out hits on your own people, that kind of stuff. If they're speaking out against you, but yeah, it's like the the first one that came to consoles, I believe, which probably isn't as good as the other two that have come out since then. But uh, a decent way to check it out and see if you are that. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's a it's an okay month there. Mm-hmm. Nothing really hugely splashy to it, but if you got uh, game, uh, yeah, Xbox Live Gold or Game Pass Ultimate, uh, you can check those games out. Mm-hmm. I added on to here because there's something interesting happening. Uh, we talked about Knockout City a little while back. Uh, mm-hmm. That is from EA and their uh, development studio, Velon Studios. We also made the Mario Kart like live kart racing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, developer has a new game coming out called Knockout City, and EA did the very smart thing and made it. Uh, it's going to be available on EA Play at launch. 
So if you also have Game Pass Ultimate or Game Pass on PC, you can check that out as well there. So I have a much bigger audience for it than forcing people to only pay for the game, mm-hmm. uh, which is what they did wrong with Rocket Arena. Mm-hmm. Where they literally just gave out codes for it. So like, just play it. We need people. We'll just write this off. Uh, so yeah, that's out May 21st. So you can check that out later this month. It's a nice little free multiplayer game that kind of has some elements of like a Splatoon to it. Uh, something that's probably pretty kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. You're not shooting people in the face. Uh, you're just throwing dodgeballs at them. Mm. Uh, let's talk about an update that hit a Nintendo game that added online multiplayer to it. Uh, so timely that people forgot that this game didn't even have player in it. Super Mario Party. Mm. Three years later, they decided, hey, let's date this thing with the, the feature that everybody wanted at mm. launch. And so, yeah, it has, I guess, the first Nintendo game that supports like the invite friend feature for Nintendo Switch Online. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as you can create like private rooms with codes, or you can just go in there and enter codes of your own. You'll probably find people if you put like one or two or whatever in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how people, some people found matches. Like, uh, that's, who put a code one in there as their code? Play with them. But yeah, apparently the connection stuff is based on who has the worst quality connection, mm. which is probably a lot of people. They're playing on their Switch. Mm. Uh, so the quality of your connection changes the experience pretty drastically. And also it seems like there are 10 mini games that are not playable online. Uh, you can use every character, every map, but only 70 of the 80 mini games. So that's kind of that. I think they also added yeah, like a 2v2 partner mode. So you can sort of partner up with a friend, sort of team-based Mario Party. Oh, that's 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 been there. Um, Thank you. Yeah, like that is. Uh, this is kind of bizarre. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a feature that it it's it's needed. Um, I'm not I'm not going to criticize Nintendo for you know making a game better, even if it, even if it is three years later, especially when we're talking about a game that's still um, consistently in the in, in the top thirty every month, no matter how old it is. Um, yeah. But it also kind of like gives me a false hope that they'll continue to support, you know, Mario Maker, Mario Maker 2, or maybe even add some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of new, new content to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, because that never had any content, yet it's still in the, in the top 20 even. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's good. Uh, it really should have came last year when everyone was, was stuck at home. But in any case, you know, good for them. Uh, if anybody's playing Mario Party online, I'm pretty sure it'll have more of a Twitch following now. But, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, it seems like that and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe are games that they probably should have put out, like, expansions for it to add new stuff to it, uh, that people would have definitely bought those, like they did for the, like, Breath of the Wild expansion and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, N- Nintendo is really in a weird position with their online strategy. Granted, that's always been the case, but it's pretty clear that their full focus aside from their mobile development is in animal crossing because animal crossing, you know, they even have um, 
videos every month uh, telling their um, community what's up. Whereas, you know, with, with the Super Mario Party update, it was it was pretty random. Um, I remember, like, I don't know whether it was last year or the year before where they had the DLC for Captain Toad, which nobody asked for. So, mm. like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I think the one the one thing that I wish is, like, there's some transparency to that because, you know, it's it's something that works for Smash Brothers. Like, with Smash Brothers, you know this character's coming. But with everything else, like, everyone's in the dark. And it's, it, 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 it kind of sucks in that regard. But, again, like... They they made the game better, so I'm not gonna you know complain about that. So yeah, yeah. It seems like if they've kept the I don't know, the team in like a good place where they can add more content, then they will. But it seems like some of these games they decide like, okay, it's out. Let's find you something else to do. Yeah, and, so and it's weird because it's, it's gotten to the point where should. it's weird because it's gotten to the point where um, the Animal Crossing community, which has a lot of new gamers or or casual gamers even where they're, they're, they're complaining about the amount of content they get every month and i'm like you actually get content every month you know people playing splatoon mario maker smash they're not getting it so i don't know what you're complaining about <laughs> yeah they're expecting it to be like mobile games where you know there's actual new content in most of those games at least something every month if not maybe every couple weeks uh Nintendo doesn't do that usually. Mm. Yeah. Like looking at it from, from, from more of a crystal ball case, like I think it was definitely a good decision to merge both of their handheld and console development teams. But I think they should also consider looking into making the mobile and, and their console development work in the same like spaces too. I mean, granted, you know, obviously with COVID it's, that's not going to happen in person, but um I do think, like with 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 the amount of strategy that you put into mobile games, a lot of that can go into their console development to make it better. But yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's the the weirdest bit of news this week. It was uh, Nintendo saying, "Hey, we're actually going to make this game the way that you kind of wanted it mm. uh, a few years ago," but. They also, this week, dropped the demo for Miitopia, the sort of uh, switch port of the 3DS uh, RPG, I guess. You kind of made your Miis in it. It seems like the the character creator for this is pretty wild. People have been making some uh, really cool Miis from what I've seen. And this sort of showing off like their, their next level of me creation technology that... Makes you sad that there's not really like a a general thing for that, uh, like any sort of uh, thing like you had on the the Wii, where you could just sit there and make Mies and have them be available to populate games like this. Uh, but yeah, you can check that out, and I think all your progress carries over to the main game, so you can sort of get started on it. Uh, it seems like you can also share them. I'm not sure if that's actually like an online server thing or if you just send it to a friend or something. I don't know. But yeah, it says you can play the first area of the game and save data can be carried over to the full game if you decide to buy it. So yeah. I think that's going to be a neat little game. Uh, that's out May 21st so alongside Knockout City. Mm. Also happening right now, the demos for Resident Evil Village are out now, and they decided instead of that 24-hour thing, they're going to extend it to 
uh, an extra week. So it's essentially yeah. eight days from May 1st, uh, yesterday, last night, to uh, May 9th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So you got about a week or so to check them out now. You can actually play like a person instead of like a weirdo mm-hmm. like in the middle of the night or something because you're like, oh, it's the first time I can play it. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, I've been hearing the, in the original plan, it's the reception was like spotty at best. Um, people were like dealing with like crashes and stuff. It, it, uh, it, it, it was an issue. So I'm glad yeah. they did this. Yeah, so now you can actually kind of check it out at your pace. I think it's still 30-minute limits. I think people on PC have figured out how to disable that part of it. Mm-hmm. So you can just kind of keep playing whatever is in the game, the demo. Yeah, they have. Yeah, you can uh, check that stuff out now. All the mm-hmm. consoles, I think. Yeah, I think all the PC, Xbox, and uh, PlayStation. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Uh, Also something you can play now. Uh, Not in the traditional sense, but it is a Dreamcast Castlevania game called Castlevania Resurrection that was announced. Uh, It was playable at some events before launch, and then they canceled it because it was probably turning out poorly. Well, if you remember um, the previous Castlevania games that were in 3D at that point had been Castlevania 64, and anybody, yeah, in the sequel. And if anybody who remembers that game has ever played them, will tell you, uh, yeah, um, they had major issues getting the Castlevania formula into 3D almost from the beginning. And yeah, it just it didn't really work out when they were doing uh, this particular game for the Dreamcast. Yeah, and a few weeks ago, somebody managed. To- prototype discs, uh, mm-hmm. discs for this that uh, seem to have been used at one of the E3 or whatever events uh, they had it playable at. Mm-hmm. Managed to upload it and kind of get into a good state so that you can actually play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the ROM and associated files are on archive.org. You can find the, the link in the article itself. Mm-hmm. Put it into your Dreamcast emulator of choice uh, and you can check that out. It's probably not going to be very good, but, you know, <laughs> seems like uh, it includes a few levels and a boss battle against Medusa. It's unoptimized, so. Yeah. There's some bugs and freezes and crashes and all that. Yeah. But yeah, you can also, also includes the files for emulation as well as a version for burning to disk and played on an actual Dreamcast. Mm. Which I'm sure there's already a video on YouTube of somebody doing it, so mm-hmm. you can check that out. For some weird little bit of a uh, Castlevania history. Yep. Which yeah, they were expecting Castlevania sixty four to be the new mainline series for that. Yeah, and it but, crashed and burned. <laughs> Symphony of the Night was the like weird spin-off yeah. thing, and then that ended up being the one that actually worked out really well, and that's where they went with all the most of the following games. Yep. Uh those like PS2 ones were uh 3D but better. Yeah, and then they did the the weird newer series on 360 and PS3 that was like, hey, what if this was like God of War? Yeah, uh, and they actually managed to pull it off with the first one, uh, which ended yeah. up being really good. 
and then they completely flubbed the sequel. Yeah, but yeah, let's see. There's also Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection that came out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also coming out to the PS4, Xbox One, and PC mm-hmm. June 1st, so you can check that out. If you don't have a Switch or didn't want to play it on a Switch, uh, you can do that. Uh, coming out here in a few weeks. It seems like if you pre-order it, you get to play it one day early, May 31st, which is weird, but <laughs> hey, whatever. Uh, yeah, you got a local co-op. If you want that, no online play supported, though, if you have, I think, share play on your PS4 or PS5, uh, you can play with a friend that way. Uh, same with uh, Steam. As that sort of uh, code there, we can just Stream it to play local games. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Also coming out sometime this summer, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order getting an upgrade version for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Yep. Uh, I assume that makes it run perfectly smooth mm-hmm. and be a more polished version of that game, which is nice to see. They announced this on the StarWars.com site. Wow. That's a weird way to do that instead of through EA. But yeah, that'll be happening sometime this summer. It's free upgrade for that. It's also on sale right now for, uh, let's see, I think on everything. Mm. At least up until the 12th, it says. Yeah, for the Star Wars sale. That's right. Because they took over May 4th as a holiday because it's, I don't know. They want to have a pun holiday. So. Mm. But yeah, you can grab that on the cheap right now and then play it on the, the new consoles when it comes out at some point this summer. No even details on what improvements it has, but we should get that when it's actually close to releasing. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun to see. Uh, let's get to the, the rest of the news here. It's release date uh, adjacent. Mm. Yokotara, we talked about his most recent release. Yeah. Near Replicants. Uh, he is working on something new with Square Enix. Yeah. And, and the way he describes it is uh, this is somewhat this is a somewhat unusual game. I've created something mysterious that I have no idea how to explain or sell. Which uh, actually sounds pretty standard. <laughs> yeah, uh, his, his partner Yosuke Saito yeah. also added that it's uh, it'll feel nostalgic and new. Hmm and assured viewers that the company staff thinks it'll definitely sell well. <laughs> also, it's digital only. So, yeah. um, so which is uh, actually not unusual for Yogotaro either, because um, outside of this game, his other releases have been uh, on, um, on phones. You know. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he uh one of the things I remember reading uh right around the time Automata came out is he said one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to do a first person shooter. And uh, I obviously I have no idea if that's what he's going to do here, but I don't really care. I'm down for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it ties into the near stuff at all. Oh, it probably will in some way. He, yeah. he, he, I mentioned the uh, mobile games he did. His uh, one of his one of those mobile games that is seemingly completely unrelated 
to the near Drakengard universe, he somehow made it relative to the near Drakengard universe. So it doesn't matter if it doesn't seem if it seems unrelated out the, on the start. He's going to find a way to connect them somehow. So if near replicant is as successful like it is, do you think they're going to bring back the Drakengard game that it ties into as like a another like remaster thing they could do? Well, see, that's interesting. See, there are three Drakengard games, but Yokotaro only had direct input on the first and third one. Yeah. Uh, people basically pretend that the second Drakengard game doesn't exist. Um, and by all rights, it really shouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah. In fact, Drakengard 3 basically tells its story as if Drakengard 2 never happened. But yeah, they could definitely go back and... Um, touch it up and all that. Uh, well, they would have to touch up and they would also have to... Again, they would have to kind of redo some of the controls because... Um, but just out of curiosity, did any of you guys play the original Drakengard? No. Okay, Drakengard was a PS2 game back in the day. Um, yeah. But how it played was it was basically a combination of like a uh, Dynasty Warriors type game where you played this guy named Kaim who is going up against these just enormous platoons of knights charging at him and you know, much like the Dynasty Warriors, you just tear into just dozens upon dozens of them at a time. But at the same time, he also had this dragon that he rode. And when he hopped onto the dragon, it basically turned into like a free-roaming version of um, Panzer Dragoon. And also, it was also the first game that did that whole uh, multiple endings thing like uh, Nier would do, only in this case it had like a dozen of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, they would basically have to go back and do redo a lot of shit to do it. Um, obviously they would have to completely redo the graphics because even by PS2 standards it looked pretty primitive back in the day. Um, yeah. They would also have to really do some touch-ups on the controls because as far as like the standard on the ground stuff was was it was fine but the dragon parts were notoriously hard to control um but yeah i would be more than okay if they went back and redid drakengard one and three three might be a harder sell because three was Gameplay-wise, a very generic sort of action RPG beat-em-up hack-and-slash type game. Um, What really sort of separated it was that it had this this, uh, thing where it worked on multiple timelines. Um, Instead of, like, the whole multiple endings thing, it had this thing where your actions would start, like, whole new timelines and a whole new story arcs. Um, if they were to go back and do Drakengard 3, they would seriously need to add more to the gameplay parts, because otherwise it gets very boring really quickly. Um, yeah. But I certainly wouldn't mind it. Um, there are still ideas, especially the original Drakengard, that if they were given time to flesh them out, would be that would be far, far 
more enjoyable than they were the first time around. And also, it will finally, like, people will finally be able to see, like, how these get, how Drakengard is actually related to Nier, because the whole thing about the Nier series is the storylines begin with, from the joke ending that happens at the end of the first Drakengard. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I'd, I'd certainly be down for it. Yeah, it seems like they could probably just put the two together in one package. They could. Like, like yeah, simplify they, things for people since... They could, like, or they could have it where you end up, like, jumping around in the same... In the, they could take the two games and put them together and streamline the narrative so that you end up sort of jumping around between the two. Um, I think that also might be possible. Again, because we're dealing with the whole multiple timelines thing from Guard 3. So yeah. they could do that. Um... But then again, there's also like the question of whether or not he would actually want to go back and do that. Because the thing about the first Dragon Guard is the only reason he managed to get on that game was because it had basically gotten left behind from by, from all the other major games that games that Square Enix were working on at the time, and he was just the one guy who was willing to take the job. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I could I could possibly see it happening. And apparently, Near Replicant is selling pretty well. So, yeah, but yeah, that is uh, that is neat. Looking forward to seeing whatever this new game is mm-hmm. uh, whenever it gets announced. But we all know uh, it will be crazy. It will be it'll be batshit insane. It'll be frustrating in parts, and it will probably make you cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, let's get to the business portion of the show here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of things here, but uh, Microsoft put out a big post on the Xbox Wire, sort of talking about how they're going to be uh, continuing their PC gaming journey. The thing Microsoft does every few years, like we're putting more focus on PC uh, thing. But uh, probably the most interesting part of it was that they are reducing their cut mm-hmm. on games that sell on the Microsoft Store. From thirty percent to twelve percent. Mm. Uh, the catch to this is, I don't think most devs even think about putting their game up on the uh, the Microsoft Store, uh, unless they're getting a Game Pass deal out of it. So it's not exactly like they are, you know, changing much. At least for the immediate future, I think they trying to get people to put their game on the Microsoft Store. Uh, even if they're not getting a Game Pass deal, like finding it a worthwhile place to put their uh, a storefront for their game. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that you know go on Steam and Epic Game Store and GOG and all those other different places. Uh, trying to bring some traffic in, which would be nice to have uh, devs that are interested in doing that work. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the games that come to PC Game Pass... You can tell that some of them did the the bare minimum, like Devolver Digital. None of the games have achievements in them on the PC Game Pass. They're just basically like if you got a version of that game off, like uh, Humble Bundle or something like that, or you can like do the direct download thing from there. Uh, like that stuff. It's a little bit disappointing. Like some of the the ways those games aren't necessarily as fully featured as they are on the the console. So 
it seems like they are putting some more focus on the PC platform. The rumors that they're overhauling the Microsoft Store itself, but they don't mention that mm-hmm. in this article at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, like, obviously, with the way Microsoft goes about their business, it, it doesn't matter if it's for Xbox or if it's for PC. I mean, at the end of the day, it all feeds the same revenue stream. So it definitely helps. Um, yes, they are getting a smaller cut, but at the same time, I don't think anybody or most people um, get their games off Microsoft Store anyway. So they might as well try to entice developers by putting on their um, stuff and give them a higher cut. Yeah, because most of what comes to that platform mobile games. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff for their their uh, their tablet uh, platforms, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's kind of the bulk of what there is, uh, and the other things are just the games that you know you bought on Xbox that also come with the PC version. That's where you download them from there. But as people that have used Microsoft Store over the years since Windows 10 came out, is that it's a hunk of shit. Uh, lots of issues just downloading games, getting updates, uh, finding the games at times can be an issue. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, the Game Pass app is a bit better, uh, but it's still based on the Microsoft Store framework. So there are issues that you know people try to uninstall games, and it doesn't actually remove the the data and free up the space. They have to find ways to get into like the the protected folder that that stuff is. All this extra work that annoys people when they think about uh, PC Game Pass. And how it's kind of hurt by the Microsoft Store, uh, and that's in the way that it all works together. So it's Microsoft; they can afford to take a loss if they need to on this stuff. They don't really sell PC games, really, uh, in the the ways that even Epic Game Store, GOG, do. Uh, their storefront is more just a means of accessing things you bought elsewhere. So. Hopefully that works out, makes that a better experience for devs and and consumers if they do overhaul the Microsoft Store. There's no guarantee it's going to actually be better, but it might be different. Who knows? But, yeah, a lot of it's like, yeah, we're doing more stuff on the PC, which, yeah, sure. Uh, but there are plenty of people that want PC Game Pass to be on par with console Game Pass. It's just not in a number of ways, like lack of features, like the the reward quests that they have on P, on console Game Pass. You can't do them with PC games, even if it's the same damn game. Uh, there's lots of weird stuff there. So that seems to be what they are doing at the moment. Is saying we're still doing PC stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see how that turns out in the future for actual concrete changes yeah but yeah the uh the end of the fiscal year happened uh two months ago uh or about a month ago and xbox and playstation put out their numbers that seem to suggest they're both doing very well um, microsoft did not put out any like sales numbers just lots of percentages like they have a 232 percent growth for microsoft for q3 2021 over the previous year. Uh, let's see. Microsoft's 
or Xbox's overall revenues, seen a 50% increase year over year, including a boost in software and services. That is 34% increase. So it's like, uh, I assume some of that overall revenue is just pure hardware being purchased. That's more expensive than the old hardware was. Uh, but some of the Game Pass stuff is in there for the services, software and services increase, you know. So generally pretty good news there for them. Uh, the PlayStation News also seems to be pretty good as they have reached 7.8 million PS5 consoles sold, which I believe is still uh, a record. Yeah, still not feeling any of the love here, Sony. Yeah. You got to put your work in for it, Brandon. You got to bust some fools' heads open and steal their PS5s if they're able to get them. Hey, I'm going to have to start robbing liquor stores. Is that... Is that what's going to have to start happening here? Uh, you're going to have to be a porch pirate. Oh. Find the, the boxes as they get delivered and be like, snatch, get that out of here. <laughs> Somehow not getting, you know. So are these numbers the, just uh, based on uh, console sales alone? I think yeah. they're, well, I mean, yeah, technically it can. Because, I mean, remember, cells uh, that are being bought up by, like, you know, scalper bots are technically still cells. I yeah, guess. yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, like, uh, the, that none of this actually means much to me. Like, what I'd be more interested in is, like, game attach rate. Because, you know, the biggest thing with the, with the new generation is the fact that, you know, we had to wait this long for a PS5 game. So, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah good, for, good for them, I guess. I don't know how many people are actually logging into their systems, but... Yeah. Uh, let's see. Is their highest revenue to date during the 2020 fiscal year, reporting just over $25 billion in revenue, which shattered their previous record, industry record, which was $20.8 billion a few years ago. Uh, the other report also boasts a Q4 that did really well for them, an all-time high of $6.24 billion for the like fall year for them. So they're selling a lot of stuff there. Uh, what I will say, though, is that, you know, if, if people are expecting consoles to, you know, be a thing of the past anytime soon, that's that's not the case. Yeah. Well, yeah, it seems like uh, everybody is doing really well. And like they literally launched a new console and they are in the in the black for the, the revenue they're making, which is a pretty rare thing to do. Usually you're taking a bloodbath the first year, at least. Mm hmm of a new console uh, launch. And it seems like they have had the, the software pick up with it to help make sure that they are, you know, doing really well. So PlayStation Xbox seem to be in a great position now for the future. Just need to get more consoles out there so that people can just, you know, walk into a store or order one online without having to get in a queue and hope that they're magically picked to get one. So yeah, that is uh that is the business portion the the consoles themselves. But yeah, we got some E3 2021 news and not anything good. Konami is backing out. They're pulled out of it saying that let's see due to timing we will not be ready to present at E3 this year. We want to reassure our fans that we are in deep development on a number of key projects. So so please stay tuned for some updates in the coming months. While we are not participating this year, we have great respect for the ESA 
and we know that 2021 will be a great success. We will continue to support the ESA and wish the best to all participants in this year's show, which is kind of, it's a weird message to say. It's like they had to, you know, bend the knee and kiss the ring to while they're backing out. Being like, yeah. it's not because of the ESA. We fucked up. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, please don't hate hate them for this. It's our fault. Oh, God. We had to say nice things about the ESA. Hurry up. <laughs> I mean, I totally forgot they were even there. If they are working on, the, in, on a game, it's that one fake indie game we saw from the Indie World Direct. <laughs> so, I don't know. This yeah. This does nothing for me. There are rumors that there's a Silent Hill game that they're working on, as well as maybe a remake of Metal Gear Solid, uh, a new remake, not like the the last remake. Uh, yeah. Did they so, say that they're going to have like zero involvement? Because you know, if if any of that is true, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of those come up in a sizzle reel from any of the other companies like Nintendo and Microsoft. Yeah, I don't know. They're they didn't specifically mention that. It's just rumors that have been circulating for a little while now. Uh, as people like look at each, you know, like PlayStation showcase or uh, Jeff Keighley show, whatever is like, oh, is this the one where the Silent Hill is going to get announced? And then no, nothing. So who knows? Seems like E3, that's not going to happen. Because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't say they had anything to show uh, in time for this. So. Yeah. So E3 is in just over a month now, and we still don't really know much. Like, we still only have one show scheduled. Yeah. Pretty much. Which is uh, weird, as, weird as hell. Well, I mean, th- th- there has to be, like, some sort of format. They just announced three hosts a few days ago, Greg Miller being one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah all, all it has here, let's see, yeah, the Ubisoft Forward for the, the first day. There's the PC gaming show and future games showcase. No actual time for that. Just the day, and that's it. No Xbox or Nintendo time frame yet, or any of the other companies. But we have one that pulled out, so that's one less uh, company to worry about, I guess. Yep. <laughs> for time for the others. Yeah. So, who knows what the hell's going on? Oh, boy. Not even the ESA seems to know. Mm. But sorry, something we do know is that Cyberpunk did really well mm-hmm. uh, for a game that had the launch that it had. Yeah, uh, basically launched completely like unfinished. Yeah, uh, but still sold nearly 14 million copies. Yeah, and very few of them apparently ended up getting uh, refunded, at least through uh, CD Projekt Red's system yeah i mean whether it returned or whatever but yeah i have a feeling more of them were probably returned either through like gamestop or something like that yeah well that and you know it it was obviously the the most hyped release last year so you know you're you're gonna have like your your regular core gamers buy them and i don't even know how many of them realize that um they could um return it because you know the the regular process is if it's open, you can't return it and you don't assume that you can return a digital game either. So there's that. And um, yeah, I mean, the main thing is here. um, It's, I mean, I don't want to say it's cool that they're pocketing bonuses at at the end of the day, developers deserve that. These are execs. So I, I wouldn't say the same thing, but the main thing is like they're, 
they're putting a positive spin to this when they really should continue to be transparent as to what's going on. Like until now, the the PS4 version of the game is still not on PSN yet, and you know it's been a number of months since its removal, and. I would expect that people who, you know, returned it eventually want to play it again and they don't know when that'll happen. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's yeah. a concern to me. Yeah, so the news here is that the bonuses have been disclosed through the earnings report. Uh, the CEOs seem to be taking $6.3 million. The director for the game is at $4.2 million and the sort of the, the, the regular employees are getting bonuses of about five to nine thousand dollars. The more senior employees on the team get about fifteen thousand to twenty thousand each. Uh, managers and directors will get something a bit higher than that. Uh, and people are not uh, happy that the they get rewarded through all this for the state of the project as it was released. Mm-hmm. It's definitely better now, but this is like the the unfortunate side of a public facing company. Is that, you know, when they seem to do pretty well, bonuses get uh, put out for their employees, whether they're at the top or the bottom. Yeah, it's not always distributed the way it maybe should be, mm-hmm. based on who had to go through the most hell. Yeah, for that, but it's kind of the the way that this one is turning out. Yeah, well, it's also not. Uh, I, think I, I, I do have to sympathize some. I mean, like. Obviously, like it launched in a way where it really wasn't supposed to. But at the end of the day, like I do feel sorry for like you know the few of them that did work that over time and things like that. And you know, I was looking at Cyberpunk's or not not Cyberpunk, but CDPR's you know um, salary differences compared to other companies. And honestly, it really isn't all that high. And those bonuses, to be honest, aren't that high either. I mean, like just to be completely transparent, like um, my bonus last year was was $8,000. Granted, half of that was taken away due to taxes, but, you know, the, the fact that that game made so much and, like, mine is, like, seemingly, like, a few thousand more, it, it still kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are some good parts of this, because they've taken a lot of the feedback from their own employees to heart and increase some of the wages for the lower-paid positions, like testing and that kind of stuff, to make them more in line with other other studios. But yeah, it's still, it's still like a lot of other places where you know the people on the lower rungs really do not get uh, as much of a kickback as they probably should mm-hmm. for the amount of work they do versus the, the higher-ups that you know take on a lot of the uh, the financial risk as far as how much they can change the scope of these uh, successes and such for these games. But, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, which is yeah. uh, why this uh, next bit of here with Bobby Kotick. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was announced he had this like $200 million bonus a few weeks ago. Yeah. We're very much not happy about that. The uh, the stockholders very much were not. It's like, where the fuck yeah. is our money? Yeah. Uh, and so they have sort of done a some sort of uh, recompense for that. Cut Bobby Kotick's base salary in half. Yeah. $75 million to $875,000. Which uh, is annual. Let, yeah, which, let's be honest, is still obscenely high for the yeah. amount of money he actually does. 
Yeah, uh, his annual bonus has also been cut. Uh, a potential reduction of $1.75 million for the 2021 and 2022 fiscal years. Uh, yeah, as uh, at the same time, they've also extended his uh, employment as CEO through, let's see, March 31st, 2023. Uh, he can still earn an annual bonus for those years up to 200% of his new smaller salary based on a host of factors laid out in the mm-hmm. filing. Uh, also notes that under Bobby Kotick's leadership, the company's market capitalization has increased from less than $10 million to over $70 billion, which says a lot about how much he has done to help make them and their shareholders a lot of money. Yeah. And That's often hundreds of percents the, more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, Normally at the uh, detriment of his actual employees. Yeah, that is, I'm doing it right, 7,000% more, which is like if yeah. you made $1 and then somehow turn that into $7,000. Mm-hmm. But with six extra zeros on that. Yeah. What I have been hearing is that part of the, that goes with this pay cut is that they're trying to redirect that money to various studios underneath the Activision label, uh, Blizzard, of course, and also, you know, Infinity Ward and all the others. Um, But, yeah. um, At the same time, they're shuttering Toys for Bob and Vicarious Visions and moved them all to Call of Duty Warzone. So, you know, it's it's not exactly something to really you know, shed some positive light on. But no. one thing I do want to, one thing I do want to put some emphasis on is, you know, I mean, look at our headline here. He sees his base pay and bonuses cut due to what? Stockholder complaints. So if you want yeah, to yeah. know, you know, how, how changes are made, that's who that, that that's the complaints that matter, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Anger the people that have put in a lot of money to own share. Mm-hmm. I've seen lots of growth on that. Because Call of Duty is the, the chief uh, growth that they've had over the last 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And seeing him pocket a lot of that money yeah, uh, annoys them. Because they were like, I want that fucking money. Yeah. It also doesn't help. I mean, he is like, yeah, Activision's, Activision's like stock, you know, their their profit has gone up a great deal over the last few years, but Bobby Kotick, Bobby Kotick himself has been a real drain on just their overall, uh, you know, just customer perception. Yeah. He, you know, I mean, he, he is arguably the, one of the most reviled figures in the gaming industry. Um, yeah. Simply because he's just a massive asshole. He's like the, he's like the epitome of the, of the big tech CEO bourgeois scumbag in human form. <laughs> yeah, the he's the CEO that the the kids set up the breakdancing competition to, to save the community center. Yeah. Because he wants to turn it into a parking lot for his new store. Yeah. That's basically who Bobby Kotick is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's done a lot of good for the people that make the money mm-hmm. uh, off of them. Not so much for the people that work there. Yeah. As we've said, like they, 
I believe all of their studios on the Activision side of the company mm-hmm. are now working on Call of Duty, including Toys for Bob. Yeah. Uh, not everybody made it over because a lot of people left, got fired or whatever, or laid off. Whatever the terms were, a number of the people uh, are no longer at that studio. And those that are left, they're now working on season three of Call of Duty Warzone stuff. Yeah. Uh, as they note in this article, Raven Software has been a support studio for Call of Duty since 2010. Activision Shanghai works on the, the online game that they released. That was uh, mainly like an Asian release. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Demonware, which does server support for Call of Duty. The former Transformers devs, uh, High Moon Studio, are a support studio for Call of Duty. Binox mm-hmm. uh, is also working on Call of Duty since Black Ops 3. And in Infinity Ward, Treyarch and Sledgehammer have been like the the main studios working on the games themselves yeah. for the past decade or so. And a lot of the studio talent there has left at times, turned out as they uh, find other stuff they want to do instead of Call of Duty. Yeah. Or, or they just jumped ship and went over to Respawn. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the Infinity Ward people. But yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, which has been a shame because they've done a lot of good work over the last couple of years mm-hmm. doing the like Crash Bandicoot trilogy, Crash Time Racing, Crash Bandicoot, the Spyro trilogy, and the Tony Hawk's 1 and 2 remakes. Yeah. That are all really good. And then those two got rewarded by being pushed over to Blizzard to work on a Diablo 2 remake or yeah. being pushed to Call of Duty stuff. Yeah, Do it's funny think- you bring that up because like, that, that, yeah. that's extremely frustrating. I mean, the. The Crash Bandicoot trilogy, the Spyro trilogy, fantastic. The uh, Crash Four, even better. Like, it's really disappointing. Like knowing that Activision was really sort of changing the narrative. Um, like, I think um, the PS5 upgrade for Crash Four was free, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that 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 kind of stuff. Like, act actually painted a painted them in a, in a positive light. And then you know this happens, and it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's. Unfortunate that it, it all just sort of funnels down to, well, Call of Duty keeps making absurd amounts of money, so we should put all our resources into that instead of diversifying. Because it used to be at a certain point where it was Guitar Hero, Tony Hawk, and Call of Duty that were their pillars, and now they just have the one pillar. Exactly. I, I even forgot about Tony Hawk, and that was superb. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sad because there's a lot of legacy of great work there. Uh, not even just on those brands, but yeah, it is sad to see a lot of talent there. I assume the the people that have you know ambitions, uh, greater ambitions for themselves, have left, founded you know indie studios and want joined other studios where they get more of a, a shot at making interesting games that they want to make. Because uh, it definitely seems like Activision is not interested in that right now Mm. let me ask you this uh because as far as things are going for them right now they're going okay uh is there a scenario where you can actually see blizzard ending up having to work on a call of duty uh franchise at some point i don't think so i don't want to think world of warcraft and all that still does well enough that's you know, they're left to their own devices. Yeah, see, they... I, 
to think that too, but even that well is going to dry up at some point. Well, that's why they're working on Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4. Yeah. Uh, mobile game. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the, the the complicated thing there is Blizzard has always sort of worked differently. Like, no one ever really knows the release dates of their things until they're absolutely ready. And obviously, we're in a unique point with the pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand, you know, um, the, the the reluctance you have there, Brandon, especially with, like, people like um, uh, who left the... Um, Kaplan, when Kaplan left, and like you know, it's it's becoming more and more commonplace. But at the same time, um, for the most part, it seems like Activision has really been hands off as far as Blizzard's uh, movements. So I would have some hope there, but it also wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, I think they've got enough of their own stuff going on that makes money that they're not, you know being forced into working on properties that are not theirs. Yeah. But the closest okay. they get is just Battle.net is the home of Call of Duty now. Yeah. PC. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird thing to say. Just like it was, that's the only place you're getting Crash Bandicoot from PC is in Battle.net. Mm-hmm. That's where you think Crash Bandicoot 4 is going to be. So, yeah, they're in a... I think they're in a safe enough place for the time being, at least. If they really just swing and miss a bunch of times, maybe, but I don't foresee that happening anytime soon. Seems yeah. at least uh, dedicated enough to the various games, keeping them going, that it makes sense to keep keep everything separate the way it's been. And these yeah. uh, two halves of the company, they're just putting out... Uh, a lot of money making potential. So yeah, that is uh that is it for the the business portion of the show here. Uh we got a couple other things here. There was a PlayStation China show going on uh the other day. Uh, a lot of it was about when that PS5 is coming out to China. Mm-hmm. Which I think is here in a couple of weeks. Uh pre-orders sold out fast because I think it's only like five hundred thousand units that are going over there. Uh, not to Brandon. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so they showed off a lot of stuff. This is like, here's Ratchet and Clank, uh, you know, Demon Souls and these other games that are coming to the platform. So uh, one of them was uh, Lost Soul Aside, a smaller game that had been in the works for quite a while. Uh, but as part of this show, they also announced that they're also coming to PS5. Uh, it's sort of an action game, sort of in the vein of, uh, you know, Devil May Cry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, Lost Soul Aside is unique because it was, it became sort of this huge sort of cause celeb when it first emerged because it was basically a project that was created by this one dude who had, like, some programming experience, and he saw, like, the... Uh, the trailer for Final Fantasy 15 and he was like hey that looks cool maybe I could do that and that was basically how we got Lost Soul aside he ended up creating the sort of it, it was more of like a like a sort of uh, a pitch trailer 
that he you know he he, he used a combination of both original and found assets. Um, yeah, that he then put on YouTube and you know social media, and you know the idea that this thing was basically with that a bit of quality was done by just one dude was sort of the the pitch basically that basically got him the job in the first place and he's basically spent the last they basically spent the last few years fine tuning it um yeah yeah they put out a gameplay trailer i think it's like 18 minutes or so of that and it just looks really good yeah it's actually the first like because in the last few years, there's been, like, this sort of uh, small renaissance of, like, Chinese developers who have been yeah. making these uh, small... Like, Genshin Impact is a good example. You know, that's yeah. a, that's largely a Chinese project, and it's been incredibly successful. Um, yeah, to the point that they're getting threats because Westerners are getting their waifu game... Yeah, like getting exclusive content because of the Chinese yeah. censorship stuff prevents them from releasing certain things in China. Yeah, they're mad that their their waifus are getting you know exclusive content for the whiteies instead of them. Yeah, um, but there's this. There was that uh, Sun Wukong game that was uh, shown recently. It was like a Dark Soulish type game, which yeah. floored everybody who saw it. Like. Admit it, you saw that, and your first thing was like, I want this now, immediately. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, the, 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 there's this sort of this upswing of Chinese games that have started making, making waves here in the international gaming scene. And Lost Soul Aside, in many ways, was kind of the Kickstarter for all that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I remember we talked about because I, I, I remember, you know, this was back when Phil was still on the show, both Phil and Patrick, and we uh, actually talked about this. Um, in fact, I think I was the one who put the story up here on the show notes in the first place uh, because it was just this amazing story that started spreading all over the all over the the gaming world. So yeah, I'm happy to finally actually see it come into existence and to actually play it. Yeah. Yeah, so no date on it at all. So don't expect it anytime soon, as people have been expecting for the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for a couple of years for now. It's And now he's working on another version as well. So Yeah, I, at this point, I'm expecting a surprise release. So <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I could see it being like a next year game. Yeah. Something like that. Mm hmm. But yeah, that is, uh, is happening at some point. But it's uh, a game if you're into like a. a Devil May Cryers, you know, if you like the action parts of Final Fantasy Fifteen, or Devil uh, De or Metal Gear Rising, I've heard that com that comparison as well. Yeah, like those kind of action games. It seems like what this one is leaning towards. Yeah, uh, just add it to uh, a list somewhere. It says mm -hmm. like, uh, remind me if this ever happens again, mm. uh, and I'll get uh, notified at some point that it will be happening. But yeah, uh, to end here, we'll be talking about the state of play that happened, featured just three games on it. They showed off a little teaser uh, trailer of Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart and said, hey, we'll be showing some more on uh, Thursday, I think it was. And yeah. 
that there will also be two indies that would be getting updates for uh, during the show. And they put those two up front uh, just as like a, hey, here's the, the first things you need to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one is Subnautica Below Zero, the sequel to Subnautica that is featuring, you know, more Arctic environments. Uh, you still go under the water and all that, but it has, you know, more weird creatures, a lot more survival stuff and things to craft and build, uh, and more mysteries to try and figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Yeah, those who buy it on PS4 will get the upgrade free. Mm-hmm. I think whether you have a physical or digital edition of the PS4 version, you get the PS5 digital version at no cost. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of upgrade it to that degree. Uh, I think that's out May 14th, yeah, here in a couple weeks. Uh, you can pre-order it now. And I think it is on a discount pre-order. Like if you have PlayStation Plus, you can get it for a little bit cheaper. That might have ended, I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, you can sort of uh, check out. Okay, no, it's still going. Yeah, you can get it for 10% off. Uh, 27 bucks instead of 30 bucks. If you want to pre-order it ahead of launch. So that is uh, the first game. The second one that was confirming something that people were probably expecting to happen. Mm. Among Us is coming to PS4 and PS5. Uh, much like it's on Switch. And I think it's on Xbox now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be coming to PS5 and PS4 sometime this year. Uh, with uh, some exclusive skins related to Ratchet & Clank. You can have the... The Lombax's ears is like a hat and a little clank buddy that can hang with you. Uh, so that is good to see. I think it has cross-play with all the other platforms and all that stuff. So you can play with your buddies on whatever platform they're on. Mm. And uh, have fun with that. And then they showed 15-minute gameplay trailer of Red Clank Rift Apart. Yeah, and we finally was- found out what the girl Lombax's name is. Yeah, her name is Rivet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's voiced by Jennifer Hale. Because, of course. Yeah. Uh, she is part of a resistance as going on in this uh, other dimension that is uh, where Dr. Nefarious is ruling this mm-hmm. dimension or universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's, this is like Nefarious City, something like that. Okay, this is a, an alternate dimension Sargasso which is a planet I just played on in uh, Future Tools of Destruction. Yep. And literally the weapon that he is using is a mentionator. That's like the, the big chaotic, chaotic weapon that people are threatening to use in Future Tools of Destruction. So there's like layers to the where this story is coming from. But yeah, as you saw in some of the earlier trailers, Ratchet gets knocked into another dimension. Uh, Clank gets separated from him, winds up with this female Lombax. Uh, we found out she's named Rivet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also has the all the same abilities. So you can kind of, when you switch back and forth, it's uh, all the same stuff there. I assume as you level up weapons and all that, it doesn't change, but you will be going back and forth. Uh, but when they showed off this stuff in the, the demo, she just kind of like, Oh hey buddy, puts her on her on his back and just fucking runs with it. Mm. Uh, and by the end, she goes to fly off planet with him as Ratchet sees them. Is like, hey, what's up? And then they're gone. Yep. 
yeah, the gameplay seems fairly similar. They have some new abilities like uh, Ratchet can uh, wall run now. Mm-hmm. So you have ways for that. There's also a dash move, so you can dash to avoid uh, shots uh, or get across gaps, that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's some neat things there. Also make use of the adaptive triggers and haptic feedback and all that. Uh, they show off a new weapon in the trailer. Uh, seems like it's a bit more of an open uh, area, at least in the, the the stuff they showed here. But yeah, definitely watch the the gameplay trailer uh, to see all of it. It looks really quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they have uh, they hinted at their accessibility options, which seems similar to what the Last of Us Part Two had. Uh, with a lot of like high contrast modes and all that kind of stuff, even be able to uh, change the speed of the game itself, so make it run slower or faster, whatever you need it to be. Uh, yeah, clank puzzles, combat arenas, aerial combat, uh, photo mode, all that kind of stuff. So, seems like the game is going to be pretty well fleshed out. Yeah, we've reached a point where. Uh... I don't really need to see any more of this game. I am sold. Um, I yeah. still do want to beat a Ratchet game before I start this, and hopefully I'll have time sometime soon. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to see this uh, out in a month. I'm still working my way through those. Uh, other games, should we finish up Tools of Destruction, which ties into this uh, in a number of ways. Uh you know, the future series is like their attempt at like tying together narrative mm-hmm. in an interesting way and building out the universe a bit more. Whereas the, the first three games are kind of like, oh, here's a game. And then here's, we're going to add on to this and have some characters you remember. Uh, and the third one's like, oh, we're going to do a little bit more. And then the future games are like, oh, we should actually have like the lore around this. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord of the Lombax is like, where they go? Why is he the only one here? That kind of stuff. And then, now they seem to be building on top of that. Here with uh, Ratchet wondering, like, wait, what are the Lombaxes in this universe doing? This dimension. Mm. Uh, and all that. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm excited for this. be a nice game to start off uh, June with. Mm-hmm. Here on uh, June 11th, it's out. There's also a digital deluxe edition if you want that to get you a digital soundtrack, digital art book sticker pack for the photo mode and some extra armors and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but it seems like people are very much like, oh, this rivet character is maybe better than Ratchet. Maybe by the end of this game, we should say fuck Ratchet and make it rivet and clank. Mm-hmm. Which I could see some aspect of that making her focus. Uh, or focus, I guess. Mm-hmm. You still keep it named Ratchet and Clank because that's the brand, but I can see this game doing really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that is, you got anything to say, Brandon? No, that's about it. <laughs> I'm guessing you would like to have a PS5 to maybe check this. Would be nice. I told you, you got to find uh, those packages. And This is going to be the narrative for quite a while. <laughs> it's going to be as Brandon can play this game. Am I going to be? Am I going to be that one lucky guy who manages to be at the Walmart when the truck comes in? Who steals the truck? Hey, I used to work at Walmart. I know how to get into those places. 
You're going to become the Grinch of PS5s. Maybe. You can get some wigs. I can get some wigs. I know places to get wigs. All right. So, yeah, that is uh, that's going to be it for the uh, Thank you to Brandon Danrim for joining this week. We'll be back next week with another slate of news and see if our path to E3 ever shakes out into concrete information. Mm. It's still a murky mess right now, uh, which is unfortunate because I would like to be able to put in for some time off if I can, but I need concrete details. And the ESA seems to have nothing. They yeah. probably should because it's in a month. TikTok. What were the yeah. exact dates again? Uh, it's the 12th through the 15th, I think. Hmm. Basically like that weekend in a couple days early mm-hmm. in the week. Oh, nice. Which, it's, the, it's, it's the week in between my vacation. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But yeah, we'll be back next week with another slate of news and some more stuff to talk about. Mm. Uh, but yeah, feel free to let, if you enjoy the show, let your friend or family know about the yeah. show. Invite them to watch or, or not watch, but listen. Yeah, uh, unless you like, you know, watching whatever podcast aggregator you're currently on at that time. Yeah, you put it full screen on your TV. Uh-huh. Uh, do the the tethering with the Google or Apple's Apple mm-hmm. phones, whatever. Yeah, so we'll watch we'll watch this media player bar mm-hmm. fill up as nothing happens, and then everybody passes out by the end. Because it's not, that's not enough entertainment mm-hmm. on a TV. Nope. You got to put the shiny stuff up there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week with the new slate of news. Have a good one.